Good afternoon and welcome to the Designers Institute Student Council podcast. I'm Claudia, a product design student at AUT. I'm here with Jordan, Heath and Tim, who are also product design students. We are joined by Tim Weber. Tim Weber is a successful designer who creates modern and contemporary spaces. So we'll just begin with some questions. How did you get into design and why? So where I started in design was, well, originally, I guess going right back to the beginning, I, I always loved doing graphics and would work at school. So I guess that kind of perked my interest in the early days. On from that, I studied a, a Bachelor of Design at Unitech. Mm-hmm. So at the time it was called 3D and Objects. So it was furniture and sculpture, again, sort of a lot in between. But yeah, so that that really uh, at, at uni was where I, I guess, discovered more of a love for design and figured out more so of my way of doing it through a lot of trial and error and uh, yeah and then not too far after after finishing uni i started my own own business so yeah i think we had like similar experiences where we all like did the same classes in high school and then that's where we found like our passion for design yeah yeah went on to do like product design at uni so yeah yeah absolutely i think um i mean i didn't uh when i was sort of looking at, at, at courses and things. I was originally looking at doing architecture or landscape architecture and then really last minute found the uh, like a product kind of design. Was that kind course. of like the early days of a product design, industrial design group? Yeah, I, well, yeah, I don't actually know. I mean, I think Unitech definitely back in the day used to have a, a really strong, I mean, and they probably still do now, but the, the product and particularly that 3D and object, there was quite a few people who, who I knew who had personally gone through that course and so, yeah. And it was, it was nice that it was not too, I don't know what the right word is, but like a rigid product design course, if you know what I mean, like industrial design. It was more art-based, which I think right. uh, sort of really catered to me. So, Would you say it was dealing like less with practical hands-on things and more so in the theoretical side? Um, it? Uh, it was still a mix. It was still definitely hands-on. Like we were yeah. still in the workshop a lot and, and you know, speakers make lots of models and, you know, but it was maybe more so... It was less technical mm. and, and more, yeah, sort of ideas based and, well, not saying that product design isn't that, but, you know, mm-hmm. industrial design isn't that, but it's, yeah, it was more, felt more like sculptural art based side of things rather than industrial design. It's good, it's good that you had that, that woodworking foundation from high school though. That's always one that I, I wish I did, you know, well, yes. I think we can all say we did graphics and art design, but yeah. um, woodwork is one that I overlooked at the time, but looking yeah. back, it's something that would have been very useful, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Having that hands on the hands-on practical side has definitely been been helpful for business for sure. Talking about all of those experiences with high school and all that, you'd usually do like certain specified subjects like woodwork, for example, and you need to go on to do DDC and graphics. But when it comes to explaining what you're doing as an industrial designer to other people, mm. being that it's like a sort of big combination of all of those subjects, it might be a bit difficult to like explain what your job is. So yeah. we were just wondering maybe how would you explain your job to people who aren't familiar with industrial design or what yeah. it entails? That is a good question. I would, well, I mean, most when, when most people ask, I, I simply say that I'm a furniture designer mm-hmm. and that, I guess, would have a whole lot of different connotations depending on the, who the person is. But yeah, I, I almost don't, I don't almost identify myself as a product designer. I don't know why, but I guess my, fo- my fir- focus has always been furniture mm-hmm. and lighting. Yeah, it's, it's a hard one. I mean, I, when I think when you start your own business, you end up, doing everything so you're not just a product designer or because you're also doing the graphic side of things right and you're yeah. making the website and this and that. yeah so you're literally doing everything so it's kind of like 
that's ultimately what I identify as as a product, uh, yeah, product slash furniture designer. But yeah, in reality, it's like I'm a salesman. I'm a you know, yeah. I do website. We do photography. We do like it's a it's a really a broad package, spectrum yeah. of um, yeah of work from for the day to day sort of uh, in and out of the business. But yeah, I mean, but ultimately, what I want to be doing is as much of sitting down and sketching and doing uh, doing new products and yeah getting new beautiful things out there into the world. What is it? What does your day-to-day schedule look like? How, like, do you get much time to really like play with your designs and all that? Or are you, are you finding that you're being like grabbed and other pulled in other directions saying, Oh, help, you know, let's sell these, sell more of these or, or do some more logos here or whatever it is. Yeah. Do you find that it's quite hard? Like, what is it? What is yeah. it like day to day? It's a, yeah, it's a constant battle of really trying to carve out time to to do design work and i think yeah i've learned i definitely need to shut off sort of everything turn yeah. like almost turn my phone off mm-hmm. to actually be able to sit down and concentrate and and really work on mm. on new products and designs because totally you get sucked into all sorts of parts of the business you know it's often it's often problem solving or it's like you know organizing helping with deliveries of a commercial project or you know mm-hmm. there's all there's so many components that go into producing and selling and running a, a showroom and all of that side of things. So yeah, yeah it is, it is very much a, very much a challenge. Yeah. And I think it's, it's a, it's a constant lesson. I've got to keep on learning of trying to set aside time to, to develop the new products and yeah, it's a battle for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do you find him with your design process, do you usually sort of have like a, an approach to your design, which is similar across all starting out your ideation phase, you like to keep that the same or switch it up a bit dependent on like an individual project? Yeah, it, I guess the, the overall structure is similar. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of the, yeah, how I physically sketch and, you know, and, and go through the CAD and all that side of things is similar, but I, depending on the product that where the initial idea comes from can vary quite a lot. Sometimes it can be a matter of, you know, talking with an architect or a designer about something they're specifically looking for mm-hmm. or a gap that they see, and that can sort of spark ideas and say, and, and lead me down a path. Otherwise it's sometimes looking for gaps in our own range and, and looking and say, okay, well, we're really looking for, you know, a new lounge chair or a new stool or something like that. And so that can be, I guess, the initial starting point. And then I think a, a lot for me is based on what materials I want to use and and then looking at the materials, how they can integrate together, how we can make really interesting connections and, and that sort of just flows on. And then, yeah, often I'm getting manufacturers involved in the conversation early as well to figure out sort of capabilities of materials and what sort of, what sort of materials do you like working with? Cause I've noticed, I've noticed a lot of plywood and, um, mm. and wire bending. Yes. And it's actually inspired a few of my designs. Yeah, great. Having like this this combination of plywood and wire bending just because they're cheap and e- well, they're not cheap and easy, but they are they're really good materials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got good properties. Absolutely. So I was just wondering with your designs now, are you still sticking with that or have you found some new materials, some new areas you like working with? Yeah, I mean we've yeah, like you say, we've typically used a lot of plywood and and had the whole like metal and wood mix over the years. We're just I've got, I've got a new collection which will be launching in about six weeks which is a lot bigger focus on solid timbers so we've still got our plywood range but yeah working a lot more with solid timbers still mixing in in metals and brass yeah. and that kind of thing too 
but then also starting to work a lot more with with glass and glass blowing. Okay. Um, and we're developing a new accessories range uh, with that. So I am wanting to start to you know change it up as well. Yeah. And, and explore other materials. I think that helps keep it fresh and interesting and yeah um, keeps the whole range sort of developing do you think you sometimes find yourself at odds with things that you want to explore personally and then what's sort of commercially viable like what people are buying yeah totally i mean it's ultimately you know it, it is a business to run so you got to buy you yeah. got you got to have stuff that people actually want to buy exactly. so it is a balance but at the same time you know i think sometimes people well don't know what they want until they see it mm -hmm. so it's sort of uh, up to, to us as designers to to show people what's possible show people you know a new material a new way of doing things and then um that can help inspire them into actually making a making a purchase and having that in their home or in their commercial space so yeah it's a bit of a balance yeah you've got to make stuff well, that's saleable that but, yeah. but try and try and push the boundaries a bit as well mm -hmm. If we just go back to when you just graduated uni, hmm. did you find it difficult, like starting as a designer in the workplace, like in the workforce? I was in a, a relatively unique position, I guess. Well, that for one, I finished uni in 2009, I think it was. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of like in the middle of a recession. Right after the GFC. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it was like, there was no jobs available anyway. Right. So it kind of... In, in that in that sense, it was it was kind of a blessing that it forced me into doing my own thing because oh, okay. um, it was sort of there was nothing in so the you, industry. You immediately just like started your own company. Uh, I worked for my dad's business for about six months, okay. doing like really like just menial labor work and yeah. it was like sanding slots in CNC cut plywood, oh, yeah. and it was like like mind numbing. And so that also helped me, that motivated me to, to push out and do my own thing too. Yeah. So I was like, okay, this, this isn't what I want to do either. Yeah. So I, it definitely took, it took time for sure. It yeah. was, but I was used to living as a frugal student. So I didn't have, you know, I didn't have a mortgage and have kids didn't have those kind of responsibilities. So in that sense, it, it was freeing that, that I could, you know, could spend the time mm. building up you know, a range and business and hmm. yeah. So I ended up setting up like a really tiny, tiny little workshop in the corner of one of my dad's warehouses. So that was a great little starting point and just went in there every day and just tinkered away and, and worked on new products and then put my selling hat on and went yeah. out to showrooms and, you know. How long was it before like when you started making these products that you were like, okay, cool, I'm ready. I'm ready to take on <laughs> selling these things. It was, it was maybe six months of work, I would say. That was trying to sort of develop a whole, like a decent collection. Mm. Like that was aiming for, I think we ended up launching with maybe about 10 products. Yeah, it was it was relatively quick in, in the scheme of things, but yeah. And how did it start up? Was it good or? Yeah, yeah. I, I ended up getting my first kind of, I, I guess, break was uh, actually with Bow Concept, uh, which is a furniture store in, in Mount Eden. And they... The manager there said they had a bit of other New Zealand product at the time. So they said, yeah, cool, let's do a show and see how it goes. And yeah, as soon as it went in there, it started started ticking over and started selling. So wow. that kind of gave me, I guess, the encouragement that people people wanted it. So yeah, yeah keep going. Looking back from like 2009 to now, do you think your aesthetic has changed much since then? You've sort of evolved? Yeah, more. yeah, I think, yeah, it has. But at the same time, it's 
that I think the fundamentals are yeah, the same. I think like, I mean, I, I really enjoy clean, simple forms and, and really concentrating on details and connections and thinking of interesting ways to express those connections. And so kind of the, the overall design sort of my, the way I work, my philosophy sort of thing has, has stayed pretty consistent, uh, but but yeah, my the aesthetic is starting to evolve for sure. But I mean, I still some of those very first designs still are some of our best sellers today. So yeah, they still do really well, which is which is good. That's yeah, it's fantastic. It's like why would you why would you stop? I think. Well, yeah, yeah, they're still they're still popular, still selling. So yeah, and we enjoy making them for sure. With with making them, how do you go about finding like your manufacture like your different manufacturers? Do you like to stay? In New Zealand, are there some things you outsource? Pretty much like 95, 98% of our stuff is, is all made locally. So we definitely try and try and keep it New Zealand made as much as we can, So, um, which is the majority of. Yeah, it, it takes a lot of time to get the right manufacturers and find the right team. And, and it's a lot of trial and error. Yeah, um, I don't, I'd imagine being in New Zealand, the communication is so much easier though, if you were then if to like being offshore totally yeah i mean there's there's huge benefits from from making locally uh like you can literally walk down the street and and have a chat with your manufacturer about where's my stuff yeah yeah <laughs> exactly yeah you're late no but um but about issues or about new product development it's definitely been a great well personally for me i felt like it's been a good decision to stick with locally made and and i i really enjoy it i enjoy the relationships i have with my manufacturers mm. and it Ultimately, the you know, the the customers getting a great product too. And they're getting something that's New Zealand, New Zealand design, New Zealand made, and that's yeah. very very popular in this climate right now. Is well, yeah, for sure. People are just they love New Zealand made products for good reason, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, it's for instance one of my Apex shelves that literally goes through seven different companies. So it's like seven different manufacturers of metal folding, powder coating. You know, timber pressing, wow. clear coating, assembly, boxes, everything that's like locally made. Uh -huh. So the amount of people that that one product touches and, and supports and families it supports, it's like, it's actually, it's such an awesome, unique thing. So yeah, I love that aspect that, you know, every product yeah. that's sold is, is literally, you know, helping put food on the table for people, mm -hmm. which I think is, yeah, is really cool. And um, speaking back to how things have possibly either changed or not changed since 2009, do you think that's still the case with your design process, like in a general scale, based on like how you initiate an idea and how you go and talk to clients and all that? Because obviously you wouldn't do too much of like interacting with clients in uni because you're just starting out designing, you're learning. But yeah. when it comes to the consultation process, does that influence a lot of the process from that point onwards? Or do you still adopt a lot of the um, sort of conventional frameworks that you might have learned during university? Yeah, it's a, it, it is a mix. I mean, I definitely, yeah, that, that it depends on the project as well. Sometimes, like for instance, a, a recent project we've done, the kind of, we had a, an architect come to us with a, sort of an overall form and general idea of what they wanted. And then we took it from there and sort of put it through our own design, like design process to you know to end up with a, a really good result compared to and that was a fully custom one-off kind of project whereas our own our own products yeah it it does still vary project to project but generally speaking that the process is similar and it's like i say like a you know deciding sort of i guess what we want or maybe it's 
So uh, a lot of inspiration actually comes from going to a manufacturer, seeing what their capabilities are, seeing maybe some, I've often got a lot of inspiration from old tools and things like that. They have lying around the workshop and it's just keeping an eye out. I think, I think it's like being aware of, of things that can inspire you and then, yeah. And then sort of picking up on those details and then pulling it through your process. Especially not only for like the manufacturer, but like you were saying before, how there's multiple different hands that touch the product from when you start designing it until it gets put on the shelves. Because in uni, you're not necessarily thinking about, oh, I've got to go to this person, I've got to go to this person, I've got to go yeah. to this person. But when you're chucked into the industry, it's like, oh, it's like a bit of a, um, bit of a shock, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I think the wider your network gets with manufacturers and stuff, it's just more opportunity to, to see what the possibilities are. So yeah, I try and, I try and visit manufacturers a lot because I think it, it does help, helps idea generation definitely helps keep things because they may have a process that they haven't yet seen something that they can do with it yet and then yeah. you can come in and go oh if i could use this and change it, and then you're reframing it right you're, yeah. you're changing the context exactly which totally. is pretty amazing i think yeah. yeah yeah and yeah something that's not supposed to be used for yeah this product or this this way you can go well i could appropriate that for, for this kind of product yeah and it's yeah it's definitely a great way to, to generate ideas it's something i'm really interested in is like the business of design because mm -hmm. i know like it, it's one of these ones where when you, if you're working in a retail store, you know, you're selling a t-shirt, it costs this much money and you're saying, here you go, this is the t-shirt and you buy it. And then you have all the people in that, in that supply chain and the people that are selling it. But with design, it's kind of like, how do you price when you, when you, you make a new chair and you go, how do you price that and say, yes, that's worth that much money? Because mm -hmm. typically I see with designer things is they go, oh my gosh, that's so expensive. Why? I can make that. Yeah. And they don't see the, the, the thought process behind it or any of yeah. that. They just go, oh, that's just a bit of, um, a bit of press break folding and yeah. some powder coat. And now it's this fancy chair. But how do you go about in the business of design? How do you go mm -hmm. about pricing things? And even for like one off like you were saying about consultations, yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess um, part of it and, and that value of the product partly comes down to brand and you know, people are obviously buying into a brand and maybe a name and that kind of thing. So there's the, that aspect of the value in the product right. from the branding side of things. But then obviously it's like looking at, I mean, for me personally, that's why I really enjoy looking at connections and details because that, that in itself brings a, a whole other sort of element of, of interest and intrigue and, you know, makes something that much more unique. So, yeah, I think that kind of coupled with branding and, you know, the story of New Zealand made and the quality of materials, and it's kind of this whole package that comes together that helps justify the price mm. tag. Because really is, it's like, it's not that, it's not cheap to make in New Zealand. So it's, it is a certain price tag that comes with, with the product. I like so. to say that with, in terms of sustainability though, you say that it's, it's not, it's, a, it's an expensive price tag to make in New Zealand. But I think it's almost people need to shift the, and I think we are, but people need to shift their viewpoint going, it's actually expensive, not in the monetary sense, but mm. it's expensive, our environment, our yeah. um, employer, like how, who we employ around yeah. the country and all that. Mm. And I think that's the expensive part that yeah. people don't see because they go, oh yes, this is this cheap product made yeah. elsewhere. Yeah. And then it's like, it's cheap and easy, but yeah. they don't see that it's expensive in the long run. Exactly. Yeah. And that's unfortunately what our, a lot of our consumer buying has turned into is very short sighted mm. purchasing because we're, we're buying 
cheap things to hold for only a year or two years or we don't it doesn't matter how long it lasts because it's cheap you know and that like you say that is really the wrong way of thinking of it it's like we should be looking at products that we can hang on to for years and years and years and pass on and is spend the money on it and have it for have a table for 10 years that you love mm. and, and buy it once instead of buying 10 tables over 10 years that you've probably spent the same amount of money but like you haven't really like it's it's been it. an incredibly yeah it's been an incredibly painful process for the environment in doing that because you've sent 10 tables to the landfill you know and then i think that fits in really well with your whole just design style you, your work mm. is quite timeless and so yeah you know 10 years down the line it's not going to be updated like some of this other things are going to be from ikea or... yeah yeah exactly and that's yeah totally we, we do try and really focus on i guess that's why the sort of clean simple lines helps that timelessness so it's um yeah it is something that will hopefully look as good in 10 years as it does right. like the day you buy it so yeah well you said that your your things from your first range are still some of the best sellers was it yeah so yeah yeah like our floating dining table we still sell like great amounts of them and they're just a yeah a really great product that keeps on ticking over Hey, I've been meaning to ask you, Tim, I've recently been hitting a lot of walls in my design process, especially um, we've been doing uni from home, mm -hmm. just no inspiration. Have you sort of got, got a remedy when, when you hit a wall? Designer's <laughs> block. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think, I think generally I try and if, I, if I'm just sort of banging my head against the wall, I, I try shelve it for a bit. I put it away for a couple of days and come back to it because I definitely think that you know fresh eyes on a project helps but also I try and change my environment too so I've got this like really great little studio down near my home that's like this little studio that looks out over the water so I often try and go down there and it's just like a there's no internet it's like turn my phone off mm -hmm. it's quiet and just that environment change I think makes a big difference for me it helps me think clearer and it's yeah so i think it's if you're getting sort of stuck in a rut just make doing changing your environment well for me anyway that makes a big difference yeah because you can just get like inspiration from like an any day object you'd be like oh i really like how that like does like you know a certain thing or whatever and then you can totally. relate that to what you're doing absolutely yeah do you find sometimes that design like your your design influences can come from like completely random places yeah. Like you'll be, you'll be on holiday somewhere and then you'll be going and you'll be looking at something and go, what, why are they do or that you'll see something cool in a different place. And then you, you're just like, do you think that's kind yeah. of what being a designer is like having that skill to be able to, to, to see like opportunity and, and take it and yeah. Recontextualize. Re yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, and I think it's been a, aware of that and, and looking out for those mm. opportunities. So yeah, I love looking at, at buildings or construction sites or you know like looking at details of scaffolding or you know a water feature sculpture or i don't know anything that and, and taking details and like say recontextualizing it reappropriating it into a different object mm. can be a, yeah it's a great way to sort of just spare ideas and i think we have time for one more question how do you incite effective and insightful collaboration inside and outside your team i think uh it's a Hard question. <laughs> what does your team look like? Well, at the moment, we're a, we're a small team. I mean, to be honest, I'm doing the majority of the design work these days. I, I love having a team, and I've also realized 
I love doing the design work myself too. <laughs> and, yeah. and and taking I've kind of actually taken control back of a lot of that side of things. Mm. Which in years gone by I had as the business was growing, I naturally got pulled in other directions. And as of late over the last sort of couple of years, I've actually pulled more and more of that back to try and make my role more design focused than sales or, or other sort of aspects of the business. So, so I'm doing a lot of the design work myself, but then a lot of it is in collaboration with manufacturers as well. So, so, I mean, for me, it's been, wait, what was the question? Sorry. What does it look like? What is the, <laughs> how do you incite effective and insightful collaboration inside and outside the team? I mean, I think being effect, like having effective collaboration is uh, for one, allowing people to express ideas. So, it's asking questions it's uh, you know it's asking why why do you think that mm -hmm. why why are things done this way uh, why can't we change them you know and i think it's making people or trying to get people to explain why they think in a certain way why things are done in a certain way and and just trying to pull out aspects of that conversation into right. ways that can be uh, appropriated for the design you're trying to produce or the product and the end the end result that you're trying to get towards so yeah, I think conversation is a massive part of it. Spend like a lot of my day just talking with people to try and yeah to generate ideas and and it's yeah I think it's the sort of the quickest way forward for for idea generation. When it comes to those complications, when you're like you've got your team and you think you've got an insightful team, but the thing is everyone there were like really specialising in different paths. So mm -hmm. like you'd be in design work and then the others would be doing manufacturing. Does that get like quite difficult to articulate what you want and why you've got it there? And then they've bit, they've got completely different lenses on. Yes. So they're going to think of it in like a different way. They might be, oh, no, I don't think that's right because of this, this, this. Yeah. And then you've got that same issue with so many other different parties. Does yeah. that get quite difficult? And then at the end, compromise the effectiveness of the design process and or the design collaboration? Yeah, for sure. And I think it, there's like a certain point where you just got to put your foot down mm -hmm. and say, no, Fair this enough. is how I want it. And just because, because you often find that, yeah, just it's, people get set in their ways, right? So they, they've done it this way for 10, 15 years. They don't, they don't know, or they don't think that they can change it, but it's not until you keep pushing that they realize that things can actually change. So yeah, it's just a, a constant. Even though compromise doesn't seem too pleasant, you kind of just have to get it done with that anyway. Yeah. And I mean, it's a balance. Obviously, if it's, say, it's a manufacturer that's got the experience, they're often talking from that experience. So sometimes there's reasons why things are done in a certain way. And, and that that needs to be sort of honoured as well. But at the same time, it's just because it's done that way, doesn't mean it needs to carry on that way. You know, it's like a black and white view. No, you can't do that. Yeah. It's like, it's like well, why not? Yeah. Like, let's talk it through. What Like, what other options are there? Right. Um, and I've just literally had that with us, this new collection, and we're kind of doing things with solid timber that shouldn't really be done. What, do um, you mind elaborating on that? What well, like this um, this new tabletop, we've got a, a solid timber tabletop, and then we've chamfered like all the way down to the, the center. So at the end, like at the edges, you've only got 12 mil of material down to a like a 40 mil in the middle. Mm -hmm. And really for a solid timber, you shouldn't take that much material what, away. What is the timber? Uh, it's a walnut okay but we're doing an oak and a maple as well but because it, it obviously we take out taking out a lot of strength and solid timber you know it's literally planks glued together so you get warping and things like that so we've had to you know we're trying to push 
push materials in a way that almost shouldn't be done that way. So yeah, there's been a lot of back and forth of this is why you don't do it that way. But it's kind of like, well, why not? Let's push it. What can we do? And, you know, and, and we've ended up with, with a great result and it's a really, yeah, beautiful like interesting a function thing. Yeah. And so I would think it was like finding that balance and that kind of that middle point where it's successful and, and something different. So. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have one more question. We can always edit it out. Eh? <laughs> what, what would be some tips? Oh, it's kind of a double barrel. So the first part is like what in your, with design to put your name on it, the Tim Webb and the brand on it. What do you, what, do you have like kind of a, like a, a Dita Rams 10 good principles, but like Tim Webber, 10 <laughs> good principles to say like, this is for, for your stuff, the stuff that you want to have shown in um, and have your brand on it. What, what are those kind of principles? It's a good question. I think, I mean, I don't have like a specific list to be honest, but I guess it's inherently in kind of the way that the way that we produce things and, and design that I've kind of, you know, I guess I've got my, my list in my head of, you know, it's a, it's a clean, yeah. it's simple, it honors the materials, it's, but it's functional, you know, it's beautiful. It's going to last people a lifetime. And it's kind of like this mix of, yeah, all of these I guess, standards that I've set myself uh, over the years. Yeah. That I guess is, yeah, I guess that would be my list. But yeah, I, I mean, I just enjoy making clean, simple, beautiful products that are going to last a lifetime. And that's, and, you know, hopefully be timeless as well. So, yeah. And what would be some tips for some, some young, some young school leavers mm -hmm. going into university saying, you know, they're like, I've done hard materials and I've done graphics, but like, I don't know what to do. Mm. And, and then they see this industrial design degree or something along the lines of more product based mm. and then they go, oh, I don't know. What does this actually mean? Because it, it kind of a hard one to, it's very broad. It's not, it's not like yeah. it's, I'm an engineer yeah. or I am a, a doctor. Yeah. It's yeah. like a designer. What, what do you design all that? Yeah. What would be some tips for some school leavers? Well, I mean, obviously explore it, see what, see, you know, go to all the, the open, open days and that kind of thing. Cause I think the great thing about design is that it is so broad and it can be, you know, you, you, there's so many aspects of design that you can go into. So in that sense, it's sort of, and partly was my decision-making and in going into a design degree was that it, I don't know exactly what I want to do, but it's so broad that you can figure it out on the way. So that's part of it. That's part of what I, uh, I really enjoyed about doing a design degree, uh, explore it, have a look at it. It's, that's a fun, it's a fun, exciting career. That's for sure. So, yeah. That's a good point. Thank you. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you, Tim, for joining us today. Pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Designers Institute of New Zealand Student Council podcast. Keep an eye out for the next episode. We would love for you to share on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where you can tag the Designers Institute of New Zealand. If you're feeling really generous, you can give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us with getting the podcast out to new listeners.